those questions to Obama. Um, what, what we had gotten started talking about, Pishon, is um, looking at feelings as feelings rather than as, um, let us say, uh, labeled items that can be easily transmitted uh, through language. Okay, what we mean there is that we're taking the feeling and conceptualizing it rather than looking at the feeling directly. So when people say we feel like hell or it's been a hell of a ride, those two definitions of hell are probably different. And yet we use the same word for it, and that means that that doesn't convey really what's going on. And that's especially true when uh, the individual kind of settles on that word without really looking at the feelings. And so when we look at the uh, uh, feelings of hell, basically what we want to start understanding is, is that hell is a state where we desperately want to get out of it and that it's associated normally with the feelings of anxiety and fear mixed with anger. Now, fear alone, uh, the initial fear, you've probably heard of fight, flight, and freeze. Okay, so fear is the freeze part and the fright and the flight part are then the hell, trying to escape feeling like you're being chased, uh, uh, anxious, uh, almost to the point of desperation. And these are states that we work ourselves into. This is not just a one thought moment kind of thing. This is, you know, uh, a full on frontal attack inside your own mind one thought after another, one hell thought after another, uh, is what brings us into that state of hell. And so this is why sati is so valuable, is the question is, is how deep into this repetition of one step at a time going deeper and deeper into hell states, when are we going to wake up? When are we going to wake up and turn around and say, hey, I can climb out right back out of this just like I climbed right into it? Yeah. And that, uh, this is why I talk about Shanti in the sense of Murphy's Law, is, is that anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and it'll go wrong at the worst possible moment. For instance, something little can happen at work. Something happens. But it happened at the worst possible moment for this particular mind, and so the mind uh, then takes that small thing and just grinds and grinds and grinds and grinds on it, take us deeper and deeper into our miserable state. And so this is why we want to build up sati so that we can catch that stuff while it's in process, rather than catching it after it's gotten us into worked up, basically. Um, another way of talking about it is how much adrenaline are you going to put in the body before you recognize that the body is being affected by adrenaline? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
because it's the adrenaline then is the chemical that's most associated then with the Buddha's uh, woeful state of hell. Because we're agitated, we're upset, we don't like what's going on, we're, we're desperate for a way out of it. You can see that in an argument, that two people who are in an argument are desperate to get the other person to accept their point of view. And so long as he's not accepting my point of view, that's hell. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Arguments never start off. The first second or the first half minute of an argument is full blown. No, it takes and it works 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 and it works. And one person will say rah and the other one will say rah rah and the other one will say rah 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 and the other one will say rah 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 and then okay. And so it, it builds up. The question is is who's going to see that? first mm -hmm. because eventually one of the other of them will see it and recognize it that we get deep enough in dukkha that we can finally see it most arguments almost all arguments end non-violently the reason that some arguments end violently is because neither side woke up Even sometimes it goes into violence and they still don't wake up. Even they have to bury the body in the lake and they still don't wake up. <laughs> uh -huh. Okay, so the point now is, is to congratulate yourself for waking up. That you recognize that you've gotten yourself into a state of hell while you're in the office. Guess what? Offices are often created into hell states. I would say that the American office is probably more hell than any other place that I know of, especially in places like New York, Chicago, Washington. Those places, their offices are real hell. I know I've been there. <laughs> yeah. Some of these offices are quite plush. But that doesn't take them out of hell. Yeah, definitely. It's been my experience. <laughs> well, the thing of it is, is that the hell or the office itself is very much like the road. And the bumpiness is optional. That if you can um, avoid these uh, potholes, then you don't. I uh, feel like that this road is hell. That's the whole idea is, is that if we're watching where we're going and we can see things in advance, you can almost as if you can say, uh, and it takes longer to say it than it does to do it. This is an important thing. So when I'm describing it, recognize that, that the description takes a long time, but the actual action is quick and that is you're tooling down the road i see a pothole swerve just a little bit to the left okay that amount of time that it took to say that is less uh is more time than it took to hit the pothole mm -hmm. so this waking up to avoid the pothole is nonverbal. 
is is literally from eye to hands. Not to eye to thought to verbiage to hands. So there's got to be a, a quick connection. Uh, this this is where um, we actually put the instincts into gear properly. A lot of people say that, oh, now that I understand Buddhism and understand wisdom and that uh, self-preservation instinct and nesting instinct and all of that, that the, uh, the wise part of the mind has to take over and conquer and take full control of the instincts. The answer is no. What we want to do is make good, close, tight friends with them so that our wisdom and our instincts can be put together in usage so that we can come up with these really quick responses that are needed. But the response is a wise response, not a stupid, ignorant and instinctual response. Ah, yes, this is how it works. So. That means that if we're alert and watching what we're going, we can then use that eye coordination with the hand. You've heard it, eye-hand coordination. That sports people have to develop that. Mm-hmm. But in fact, if I toss a, um, a small ball or a rubber ball or something to a Thai person, it'll hit them. Mm-hmm. But if I throw a ball to a, an American, the likelihood is, is that he'll catch it depending upon how much baseball practice he had as a kid. And if he was on a baseball team, the likelihood of him being able to catch that ball is much higher. But in Thailand, throwing objects is a social hoopah. No one throws anything. Therefore, no one expects anything to be thrown. But if you live in a baseball community, throwing things across the room to each other is just a natural, easy way. You don't have to get up. It says, here, here you go. And you make a motion and then you throw it and he's ready to catch it. You do that with a Thai person and he can get hit right in the chest and he doesn't even raise his hands to catch it. Uh. Because he's not in um gear with his wisdom and his hand there's no eye hand coordination okay if we can see that in operation from my hand coordination we can also recognize that we can do that with wisdom also so that when that pothole happens in the office you can swerve right around it once you have the skills don't have to swerve much just you know, just a little bit. And and so this is how you would handle it. Now, one of the things that we can understand is, is that it does not matter what office you're in. Every office has potholes. They come with the territory. In fact, um, most of the offices, even though the, the pothole is not intrinsic in the office, the people who go into those offices make sure that there are potholes, both for themselves and for others, because they brought the potholes <laughs> in there with them. So this is an important point that sati is to, to be developed so that when we're out there in life, and those potholes show up, 
10 seconds ahead, five seconds ahead, three seconds ahead. This is the skill that we develop is how soon can we respond to that. A, a really clear example of a, of a five second ahead is, is that you look up and you see the balls coming down the corridor. Okay, pothole, five seconds. You get at least five seconds. That's that's a good long deep breath. <laughs> yeah. So um, knowing that things are about to happen is that wisdom eye is to look at what's going on to recognize that just because the boss is coming down the, the hall doesn't mean that I have to careen <laughs> into a pothole. So begin to watch for these potholes at work. Especially now that you've been out in the woods, which had its own potholes. It yep. had its own potholes. And you were able to man manage and notice that quite well. Develop some skills. Now is what I see is that you're taking some of the skills that you used uh, and learned in the woods and you're taking them back into the office in Chicago. And you're saying, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> this place was not the way it was when I left it. Because it's you that's made some changes. But be careful that those changes that you're making doesn't put it in the sense of uh, a pothole. You can say that all oh, the woods is a whole lot better. But that's just an, um, a view. That's just a, a, a point that, in fact, you can look back on uh, the time that you had in the woods and sitting at your desk in Chicago and says, Whoa, I'm glad that vi that visit to the woods is over. Now I can get back to my ordinary life. You could have had that thought, but you didn't. You had the thought was, wow, now that I'm back at work from the woods, the woods was a whole lot better. Let me turn this place into the hell that it actually is. <laughs> Yeah, and you recognize. Wait a minute! It's not the 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 office itself is not hell. Hell is what we do with office. It feels like it's pretty. Um, like I understand what you're saying, and so when I'm watching for the potholes, you know, perhaps I say, okay, let's you know. <laughs> Never mind. Start again. We come back to the breath, and let's watch the breath while we're doing this. So let's, you know, try and keep the thoughts wholesome. Um, and then it just, you know, it just goes back to obviously. I mean, that's what the mind wants to do, and it's it's in that pattern of going back to um, having unwholesome thoughts or thinking about this thing or that thing. Um, and then I guess, you know, at a certain point, we're not watching and at a certain point we are watching. Um, you know, and I guess when we're not watching, it's it's uh, a tough experience. I don't know. But, um, it, it, you know, and, and. I guess with what I was kind of experiencing today that I noticed, like, you know, the boss was coming actually at one point I saw the. Uh, a one of the bosses coming, but then I was getting 
like one nasty like while he was coming i was in like one nasty email after another obviously that's my concept of it being nasty i mean that's you know up to interpretation but while i'm getting one you know slap over here basically from the other bosses over the email and then you've got the boss coming over here so you've got a a double attack but actually this boss the other boss the boss who's actually there physically he's a nice guy uh and um so i don't have any you know worries about him or anything like that and something happened though where uh i was getting like these emails and um you know i guess i wasn't watching and found myself into a you know you could see it on my face <laughs> i was just <laughs> twisted up and it was just a pretty awful hell state i guess or whatever you want to call it or feeling of anger um of wanting to get out of that situation while my boss was actually coming in and talking to everybody about his like trip or whatever and so this actually happened so it was he's, he's talking about his trip and i'm just there i'm just like i'm hardly paying attention i'm just like uh really <laughs> not in a good place um at that time and and then i noticed oh like he goes in his office and he sends me an email and he's like you know let's get coffee you know at like three o'clock today and i think that he saw like that look on my face possibly <laughs> he saw me like that and was uh you know I think it was cause for maybe probably after a, a number of other occasions or, you know, probably over time just seeing this. And we had a discussion then today, like uh, this, you know, this afternoon. And, you know, it was a really good talk. You just, you know, kind of talked about my trip and sort of my now my experience being back. And then he, you know, brought up that you know, he, he sees that, you know, I have a certain set of skills and, um, that, you know, you know, asked me, you know, like, do you really like what you're doing? You know, and he could kind of tell that, um, I might be better suited for something else. He brought that up to me. So, um, and I think he, you know, I, I like to think that he brought it up in a, in a pretty like genuine way. Like he was saying how, um, someone told him the same thing actually when he was in investment banking and then, um decided to make the switch over to real estate that after around a similar amount of time that he was in his job that you know he made a change but i know i understand that what we're talking about here is basically it's all in your mind anyways uh you know how much you're you're enjoying the job um mm -hmm. but he was kind of saying that you know he could tell that i'm like really good with people like he sees me like at our company parties things like that like talking to people and uh that i might be better off in um, a different division, like within our company, um, in like leasing rep, leasing representation, landlord representation, like um, or tenant rep, rep, which is like kind of smoozing clients and things like that, um, mm -hmm. is like the job essentially. But yeah, we so we we had that discussion going. I think, and I kind of had the feeling that there was a little cause and effect there, but there probably was more than just that one instance um i'm guessing like over time that he's seen you know that maybe it's not a great fit ah but that's which i felt really good about because i've always feel like you know i he basically told me all the things that i was probably already thinking about my and those might be unwholesome thoughts too but hey well um Generally, the, those thoughts that are unwholesome, we don't even know that they're unwholesome. 
<clears throat> so you've got a leg up, you see. <coughs> what he was seeing in you was your dissatisfaction. And he probably could see it because he knows what dissatisfaction is. He's experienced it before. But here's something that's quite amazing is, is that um, in general, people around someone will know how he feels in more accuracy than he does. So uh, the boss lady can come to one of her female junior employees and say, you know, what's bothering you? And the girl looks up and she says, nothing's bothering me to where it's pretty clear to the boss that something is bothering her. Mm-hmm. That in fact, that's possibly one of the things that you can say that's the job of a good manager is to pay attention to how your employees are feeling, even when they're not. But another point is, is that as a Dhamma dude, it's your job to pay attention to how you feel. It's not your boss's job to do that. But that's your job. And so he's helping you out. He's doing your job for you. You're, he's helping you out, and you can thank him for that, congratulate him for that, that he's actually helping you. But he's looking at it from an ordinary place, and the ordinary place that he has is, is that the office that you're in has the potholes. But you are far enough along in the Dhamma to recognize, no, it doesn't matter what office you're in, you're going to bring your own potholes in there. Yeah. And once you recognize that and can come out of your potholes in this office that you're already in, then that's the time to recognize with wisdom, is this the right office to be free of potholes? This is something that uh, is is difficult for most people to understand. The psychologist will say to look at that and decide whether you want to stay in that office or not. And the answer with the Buddha is no. It's got nothing to do with the office. Can you get your mind free from potholes? And once your mind is free from potholes, now you can make really wise choices about which road that you're going to drive down. You can figure out which office you're going to be in. Now, what your boss said sounds quite logical. That in fact, you probably, uh, by working with, uh, let us say, clients that are in a state of confusion, may be easier for you than working with a group of bosses who are in confusion. That would be something that you might, in in fact, enjoy. But also you can recognize that you're not going to be able to really deal with people uh, in general, the customers in confusion, if you've got no skills at managing other people's confusion. So maybe right now the thing to do is develop the skills that you need to deal with your bosses 
And then you can deal with those customers if you decide to take that job also. In other words, you can use the opportunity that you have right now to not go into those potholes in your own mind. And you can recognize that even the bosses are watching. They can see this stuff, even if the employees can't. So that means that you need to see it before he sees it. Going back to my analogy when I was in high school of driving around on the motorcycles uh, intentionally just to get the police attention. <laughs> Do some crazy things sometimes. But the whole point is, is that if you can see the cop before he sees you, then you're in charge. And if he sees you before you see him, then he's in charge. You, you understand what I mean by that? Okay. That means also that you need to be in charge of seeing your own potholes before your boss can see them. That okay. you can see your Are own you potholes. about the feelings? Yes, exactly. The feelings. The feelings that you called hell are actually different than an actual state of hell but it does feel like that you need to escape. It does feel like that you need to get out of the situation. That that's one of the, uh, the hallmarks of hell itself is a state of desperation, a state of wanting out, and that we, we respond to that with anxiety, fear, an anxiety attack, uh, that in fact an anxiety attack can actually be quite debilitating in the sense that you can't do anything because you're so confused and so uptight and you don't know what to do. And so the mind is just sitting there trying to figure out what we're going to do and we want to slam into that pothole. So uh, figuring that out is, is useful to recognize Pothole, 10 seconds ahead. Pothole, five minutes ahead. Pothole, three seconds ahead. Now you're getting good if you can see them coming very quick. And in actual practice, as soon as that pothole thought comes up, oh no, here comes the boss. Or oh no, the boss is jawboning about his trip. And I'm not interested in his trip. You see, the way that you had described it was is that the boss saw that you were not interested in his trip and he generalized that to the whole work scene. Is that what happened? That he saw that you were not paying attention to him and so he mm -hmm. makes that leap of gross generalization that if you don't like him in this moment, that means you don't like him ever and you don't like him in his environment. You hate this work. Why don't you go get a job someplace else? You see how many levels that he's gone to with that. To where you and I are back to the level of, hey, when the boss is jawboning about his trip, at least give the appearance that you're paying attention and that you're enjoying his talk. Yeah. 
Yeah, this I mean, I was, awesome. I wasn't actually not interested in his trip. I would say, I mean, like, you know, I would love to hear about it. Maybe at a different time, he just called me at a bad time. I was already, uh, already in a in a bad state when he came around. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like, oh, I don't want to hear about your trip, <laughs> you know. But that's what it appeared to him. It yeah, it changed, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so he was wake up a little bit but not enough to really see what was going on. And now that you're reflecting upon it, you can see, oh, yes, it wasn't him at all. I was already in a bad state. That's that's good. Yeah. I mean, I knew that kind of in the moment. I was just like, here's this guy. Yeah, he's great, but I, I'm i just so taken aback by what I just read that I can't really pay attention to that right now. I don't know. <laughs> that's what it felt like. One of the things that I how do you, so how do you you can answer that question, but uh, how do how do you apply this the roadblocks to um, I guess the work when you send in the work or whatever it is, let's say something is not right, and then you get like you know a, a response from somebody, um, you see the emails coming in, you know. I know, like, obviously that's incoming, like, that's a sign, Sati, like, what, I guess, you know, just try and, re- like, really try and press down and control the thoughts in that moment, and just try and really control the breathing in that moment, and, you know, like you said, instinctually wake up right there to when you're getting the response, um, mm-hmm. and, like, have wholesome thoughts, I guess. Yes, and... There's another way of looking at uh, this in the sense of what is happening in this present moment, in the here now. So when we're off in seclusion, the only thing that we need to pay attention to and we need to make sharp, focused attention on each thought, one at a time as it occur, is this a wholesome thought, is this not a wholesome thought, <clears throat> etc., like that. <coughs> Then taking it back into the workplace, we recognize that it's still got to do with this present moment, this particular moment. And in this particular moment, uh, the boss is talking. Right? This is what we need to pay attention to. So let me give this story. When I was in training as a therapist, one of the things that I recognized was that uh, the therapist's number one job is to listen and to pay attention to what is happening in this present moment with the client. And that's hard skill to learn because almost all of us from our time of, uh, in childhood, when we were in a conversation with someone, we were just waiting for them to stop talking so that we could talk instead of really listening, okay? So this is something that uh, is a skill that is not very well learned by most Dhamma dudes, and that is the ability to actually be here now with another person means to actually listen to them. And one of ways of doing that is by asking questions. This is back to the Socratic method. I would say that the Socratic method is a skill 
that is so valuable. It is marvelous. And yet we don't understand it. Even though Socrates 2,500 years ago figured out that the right way to handle people is by keep asking them questions to make them do their own investigation. Rather than telling them this, that or the other thing. And so when when you're talking to me about your boss, I need to listen very closely to what you're saying so that I don't misunderstand what the issue is. Okay, this is a skill that you can develop also in the sense of that when you're around someone else and they're talking, your job is to pay close attention to what they're saying, to listen, and they pick that up. This is actually part of that um, compassion, meta, mudita set system of uh, communicating or being with other people is that you pay them the attention they think they deserve. And you can see that you weren't doing that with your boss, that you had already gotten yourself into a pothole and you were trying to climb out of that pothole when he comes on and runs right over you and you're not paying attention to him. And he picked up on that, that you were not paying attention to him, but then he overestimated it from you're not paying attention to me right now to you're not paying attention to your job. The problem is you need to go someplace else to get a job. And that's not true because that job's going to have just as many potholes as this one does. And then, in fact, uh, and I've talked to students who have done that. Willie has just recently changed jobs, and he's recognizing that he did jump out of the frying pan into the fire. Changing mm -hmm. jobs is the last option because it's never the job that's the problem anyway. It's our relationship to the job and the people that are there and all of that kind of stuff. And so if you can get that cleaned out with this job, then that means that You've got now the developing skills that you can get yourself into any job and enjoy it. But if you leave this job because you don't enjoy it, guess what you set yourself up for? <laughs> to not enjoy the next job, whatever it is, because the way, uh, the way that we deal with this job and the way that we deal with these people in this job will be exactly the same way that we deal with the next job and the people in that job, too. So if you're actually thinking about going into customer relationship, the best way to practice doing that is with the bosses in the current job that you've got now. That you can see that, in fact, that's your current uh, uh, your customer relationship right there on the line is you're dealing with the people that you're around. And so making the mental note or the point that whatever is happening, whether my mind is messed up or I'm trying to deal with an email or whatever it is, that we need to find a way of stopping in this present moment, because the present moment has changed. The boss just walked in. What a major change in the environment, with or without a boss, right in front of us, right? 
you can see what a major change that is. And a lot of people are getting into the email and they're getting into their pity party or whatever like that. And the boss comes in and their mental thought is, I don't want to deal with the boss. I want to deal with that email or my pity party or whatever like that. We don't want to deal with the boss. That's like driving down the, the road in a car and we see a pothole ahead and we say, I don't want to see that pothole. And then we run right into it. Uh-huh. Or another analogy is, is that you're in a Formula One race after you have uh, for days inspected that track, you know, every inch of it, you're out there in the race. And then all of a sudden, some little old lady walks right out onto the racetrack right in front of you. If you have the thought, oh, lady, you're not supposed to be out on this track. This is a racetrack. It's dangerous out here. If you have that thought, you're, she's dead. You need some hand-eye coordination to swerve out of the way. So this is also the kind of um, uh, eye-mind coordination that you need so that when the walk, boss walks up, you can swerve right out of the way of the normal way of dealing with him so that you can really be there with him right here in this moment. Make a point of that every encounter that you have with one of your bosses is going to be joyful and happy and he's going to leave you laughing. When he walks away, he's going to walk away with a chuckle. Then, in fact, you've probably already been doing that. That's why this boss recommended that you might be good in customer relations. In fact, I think you'd be brilliant in customer relations. If you develop just a few more skills and you've got an opportunity to develop those skills right here in the place you're in now. That if you can't deal with an irate boss, how can you deal with an irate customer? Yeah, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's all a matter of paying attention to what's happening in this moment, that if you pay attention to someone, just like you and I, we're paying close attention to each other right now. This is what friendship is. It's that communication. It's that connection that we can make with others. So start recognizing that that's part of the job that you have to do of the Dhamma. That's the duty of the Dhamma is to connect with people. Okay. And, and your boss came up to connect with you and you wouldn't connect with him. Because you were too busy with your pity party or too busy with some email or something like that. The, the U.S. military has a similar thing. In the sense of, you probably heard this, you follow the last order first. In other words, if the general comes in and says, you've got to do this, that and the other thing. And while you're doing that, the sergeant says, put that down and come with me. You do not tell that sergeant, oh, the general just told me to do this, that, and the other thing. No, you follow the sergeant. You follow the last order first, which means then that you pay attention to what's happening right now, not what happened in the past. So if boss A says, do this email and boss B comes right up to you, you have to stop that email. And be here now with the, this boss. 
Okay. And you can see that many people make that kind of mistake on a regular basis. Because the individual decides what's more important. Oh, the big boss's email, the general's task, is more important than the sergeant's task. I better do what the general says. But a new way of looking at it is, no, the task at hand is the task that presents itself in this moment. And here comes the boss. <laughs> here comes the boss, which means drop everything and pay 100% attention to the boss. Okay. And he'll see that too. Anybody who's gotten themselves into the position of being a boss has some skills. And if they don't, they develop them very quickly or they don't stay a boss. So now that you're already on to the fact that this boss is on to you, that he can see you better than you can sometimes. That's, that's painful, isn't it? That's downright painful to see that the boss knows me better than I know myself. I don't like that at all. <laughs> I knew I was in a bad state already, so I don't know, but yeah. But he knew it too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wasn't hiding it particularly well. Right. Okay. Well, I wouldn't recommend that you hide it. I would recommend that you change what you're doing in that present moment from having a pity party into, sir, yes, sir, here I am. I'm listening. Yeah. I'm with you. And if you present yourself that way, uh, he will see you in a different light. In other words, you don't have to be gung-ho about your job at all, but you do need to be gung-ho about being in this present moment. Okay. That's a very interesting way of saying it. That may be <coughs> a good way of talking about the duty to the Dhamma. Our duty to the Dhamma is to be gung-ho about this present moment. Yeah. Bosses and potholes all are optional. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I guess what about like, you know, I understand when the boss comes around, be here now, message received. I totally get that. But what about, um, you know, what's the best way to handle all the in-between? Exactly the same way. When you mean all in between, are you talking about all of the other employees or all the other bosses? Are you talking about all the other pity parties, all the other emails? <laughs> yeah, all the other pity parties. I mean, so basically, you know, like I said, I'm, I guess, attempting to or trying to, I guess, is, you know, and I don't know, breathe, have wholesome thoughts. And then it seems like I will go and do the task or whatever it is, try and like do a task. And then, you know, essentially potentially just wake up into a, a pity party again, over and over again. It just keeps happening, but not really seeming like, you know, I'm able to sort of get a hold of things being okay. Ah, but the first step, though, is when pity party thought comes up and you are aware of it in that moment. Aha, pity party, 
Aha, I see you, Mara. Mm -hmm. And then you can congratulate yourself for seeing that pity party. And then you can make a choice about it. I don't have to run into that pothole. Yeah. And then it, basically what you could say is a pity party is is kind of more like a rut or maybe one pothole after another, after another, after another. And all you have to do is find a way that you can straddle those potholes and just tool on down the road. Because you're mindful of those potholes, those thoughts, those pity party thoughts would be each one of them would be a pothole. Every one of them. And so every time that you recognize, oh, there's that pity party again, you can come out of that pothole right then and there. So um, always it's, it's back to what's happening in this present moment. Are we paying attention? If you pay attention to the boss, he'll like that. If you're paying attention to that pity party, you can come right out of it. Okay. That you're not destined to have a pity party. And you can see that it gets double heavy when you're having a pity party and the boss wants you to pay attention to him and you don't want to pay attention to him. You want to pay attention to your own pity party. Mm -hmm. That's how tough these pity parties get. <laughs> is that they grab hold of us and won't let go sometimes. Oh, poor me. But you're also wise enough to recognize that that pity party is not the job. The job is not the pity party. The pity party is up in the mind. And wakey, wakey. <laughs> Wake up and recognize, oh, that's a pity party. Oh, aha, I see you, Myra. And then when we see that this is it, we can make that change. In fact, you've just made the change. Because pity party, pity party, pity party, pity party, and aha, I see you, pity party, are two different kind of thoughts. And so when you recognize that that's a pity party, you keep now you're going to watch for it. Oh, this road right now in front of me has a lot of potholes called pity party. Let's make sure that we start straddling those potholes so that we don't have to uh, have a bumpy ride down this pothole filled road. Every time a pity party thought comes up, aha, I see you. Another pity party thought, aha, I see you. Another pity party thought, aha, I see you too. Getting pretty good at seeing these pity parties, aren't we? And that's when confidence begins to grow, is when you recognize that you can see these pity parties. And when you see them, the skill of the hand, um, eye-hand coordination will start to build. Just like the tie can learn to catch a ball if he's looking at the ball and has the expectation that he can catch it, then he can. But if you have the concept of I'm not supposed to have any pity parties, then you can go solid pity party. I mean, the Thai guy can stand there and be hit by a dozen balls, and he still hasn't figured out that it's his job to catch it, rather than getting hit by it. Okay, 
So th there are several things in that have to do with the change of attitude is one of them. Waking up and looking at the balls that are getting thrown at us. Mm -hmm. And the attitude is, is that I can catch that ball. I can handle this. But I don't have to get hit by it. Okay, so when we have that as an attitude, that means that now we're ready for it. And so when that ball comes at us, we got it. <laughs> that these slings and arrows of outrageous fortune sometimes happen pretty fast. But you could be pretty fast too. If you're watching, you can see it and you can avoid those things. So this is actually quite brilliant. I'm glad that we're having this talk. We could have not had this talk several months ago because then you didn't have the sati to wake up to see what you can see now. So now you can see this stuff. You can recognize, oh, I have a choice every moment. Am I going to have pity party or I'm going to see pity party and wake up out of it? Okay. But in fact, your life is quite marvelous. I know that I, I know of at least seven, maybe six billion people who would be very happy to swap places with you. You're on top of the world. You're having a pity party. Okay. Why? Because you're looking at what's wrong rather than looking at what's good. You've got, you've got marvelous stuff going for you, Tijan. You should be pleased with that and let that gain confidence for you so that you can handle this boss. And all you have to do is just be here now and listen to him when he's jawboning on. Whether it's in a private conversation with you or whether he's out just talking to people in general. That when the boss is just making a public announcement and everybody's got to pay attention, what you want to do is to stand up and go stand close to him. To make sure that he knows that you're really there for him. Be his good friend. If you can't be good friends with the boss, how can you be good friends with an irate customer? Mm -hmm. So that customer relations, that's going to have a lot of potholes too. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you let it. So this is a good training ground now. Is to start making sure that you're paying attention to your boss, which, whichever one it is. And you said that you've got a lot of them there at that place. That gives you ample opportunity to practice. <laughs> and now I can hear the thought, I don't want to pay attention to these bosses. They're a bunch of jerks. They got nothing to say. But we could just we will say that to ourselves out of our pity party. But that's pity party talk. When we come out of the pity party and see things correctly, we may see things completely differently. Or we may see that, in fact, this guy is not worth my attention. He's not worth paying uh, attention to. 
that that doesn't work with him and I need to leave. Well, you can only make that decision once you've gotten the mind cleaned out. Otherwise, we're making a decision and maybe sometimes in some cases a life changing situation, a really, really big deal. And we make those choices out of ignorance, out of bad feelings, out of pity party. When we need to make those kind of decisions wisely. And so let's let's get this act together. Let's let's start paying attention. Let's start giving the bosses their due. When they're yelling, you're there listening. Yes, sir. Gotcha. And that if you have a chance, start asking them some questions. Okay. Use the Socratic method. Ask questions. Listen closely. You will need to do that, whether it's customer relations. Can you imagine you going into customer relations and treating those guys the same way that you're treating your bosses now? Not paying attention to them. Customer comes in to complain. Oh, I've got to write this email. Go ahead and talk. I'm not listening. <laughs> and that guy's going to know that. Everybody knows when they're talking. Are people actually listening or not? That's actually listening to someone when they're talking is very much like reading a book. We start reading a book or start reading an article or something, and then we'll have a thought about it. And the next thing you know, we're not paying attention to what the eyes are looking at. We're paying attention, in fact, to the thought that we had about something before that. And so uh, whether it's visual or auditory, the important thing is, is that if this is a conversation and we're talking, then we need to keep our um, awareness or our focus or our mindfulness on listening and eye contact. Rather than letting the mind think about what's happening. And a lot of times people are thinking about what they're going to say next. rather than listening to what's being said. So I'm really glad that the that the boss has done you an enormous favor by hauling you in and giving you this little talk so that we could investigate it and look at it and recognize what's going on. So he's done you an enormous favor. The next time you see him, you should thank him for that conversation. Hey, that was really a wake-up call. Thanks a lot. No, I'm not quitting right now, but I am going to be paying much closer attention to you. Okay. Yeah, I can I can uh, tell him that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I guess, you know, I'm just trying to compare with what I was trying to do today with what like you're telling me right now um, and see, I, I mean, I guess, you know, try and see what pieces I was missing. Um, obviously, paying attention to the boss 
but the first and foremost in my mind is kind of like what I'm doing most of the day, which is not necessarily talking to the boss. It's heads down in the computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, as you said, pay attention closely there too. Uh, and I mean, it, I, I think um, catching the pity party, like, because I guess when I'm heads down, in 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 when seeing the emails come in and things like that and reading the emails if they're you know they're saying certain things that is pushing my button so to speak um catching that and and removing it immediately as soon as possible and and then you know trying to keep remove it i guess because it, it it does come back over and over and over and over again and so that's what it kind of feels like at times which is just like maybe a handful of uh unwholesome thought and then you catch it and then a handsome handful of wholesome thought because you because you caught it but you have a couple of wholesome thoughts and then maybe you go back to the computer and then the mind is is now not necessarily watching what's going on i guess in the mind and Mm -hmm. then you you maybe wake up again to another handful of unwholesome so it's just kind of a a dance and play back and forth um that right. I guess gets so you out of see hand how many point. opportunities for sati there is there. Yeah, you're pointing that out. That's exactly right. When are you going to wake up? The quicker, the better. The sooner, the better. Yeah. Because you you have a choice. You could either write that email or not write that email. You also have the choice about enjoying that email or not. You and I have just talked about that on two levels. One is with the interview, and the other one is with the email that came in from your boss. And uh, <clears throat> upon that interview email. Wait, which interview are you talking about? The, the only one that you and I are talking about. I don't want to talk about any particular names now. But there was. The interview that was not an interview and the uh, subsequent email afterwards. Right. Right. Okay. The the way that that email was written was open and friendly and uh, a get or done kind of attitude to where uh, the other possibility was. that everything was was a failure. It didn't work out, and we can have a pity party in an email instead. Right now, let's contrast that email with the email that you just received from some boss. Now, the one that you showed that you sent to me on Skype. Oh yeah, right. Okay. Now, basically, what we can say then is is that when uh, someone is communicating, they are almost always telling more about themselves than they are about what they're talking about. An example of that is um, when someone is criticizing about another person and a third person hears this, and they're saying, uh, Mr. A, who is doing the complaining, is is um, revealing more about himself 
than he is revealing about the person he's talking about. Right? In that case, can you, can you see that one more time? Is actually, you know what I noticed that uh, sometimes I try to like have holes in thought in my head and like breathe, and then it'll take me away from listening. Um, Only for but, a slight second, and then you come back. You can breathe and and listen. You can have that mind moment of breathing and do not miss even a word. So you asked me to repeat what I was saying is, is that when uh, one person, let's say Mr. A, is complaining about Mr. B to Mr. C, oftentimes Mr. C will hear that Mr. A is telling more about himself than he is when he's complaining about Mr. C. You see what I'm talking about? In other words, this guy, when you're when you're standing here saying yak, 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 yak about this guy, and this guy is listening to you, he is saying you're telling more about you yeah. than you are about him. Okay. In that email, what you can say is, is that that boss who wrote that email was telling you more about himself than he was about you. But the way that it was written invites anyone who is not looking at what's going on to feel bad. That is a an intentionally let's feel bad and have a pity party together. But you were able to see that, weren't you? You could pick that up. It took you a while. At first, you decided you were going to have a pity party with him. Mm -hmm. Then you wake up and said, wait a minute. (laughs) This is an invitation to a pity party. This is coming from his mind, not the reality of the situation. But that's the wake up. And that you can do that when you're really paying attention to someone because those pity parties often will come uh, verbally also. So if you're listening to somebody carefully and he throws out his own pity party, you'll see that exactly for what it is. However, if we're only half listening to somebody and he comes in and rants on his pity party, He's going to very easily invite you into having that pity party, just like you decided to have that pity party with that email. And then you woke up. So if you go into a conversation already woke up. And somebody hands you a hot potato, a pity party. You don't have to take it. Right. If you're already watching. If you're already watching and he comes in and says, hey, man, you really screwed up on that email. Mm-hmm. What, say, what, yeah, what, right. what is the uh, so what would how does the uh, I guess if you can maybe give an ex, maybe like a detail on what happens inside and what do you say verbally sort of and how does that translate to what you say verbally in that moment after you receive that feedback verbally? Well, the first thing is actually. Do, is that actually, is I got to be quiet, to okay. take a deep breath, <laughs> okay. and yeah. to wait for his own yes but. So actually, I got the exact same. Uh, so and we might have to uh, say one more time, but I got exactly what you're describing from the boss, one of the bosses today. He said he explained what happened, and then he asked me, "Wouldn't you be frustrated if you were in my position?" <laughs> about what you did 
Um, and then, but I, I don't know. I just kind of said, maybe it wasn't a good response, but I just said, you know, I don't know that being frustrated would be in my best own interests, but I understand your frustration. Yes. Okay. Uh, you could also, you at said, that point in time, ask him a question, just like in the beginning of all of this, I ask you, well, what is help? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can, you can ask him then some questions about that. Okay. To investigate it a little bit more. When he says, wouldn't you be frustrated with you if you had to do this or if you had to put up with you? That's mm-hmm. what he basically, so he's, he's, he's setting you up for a pity party right there. Yeah. Okay. That's he's inviting me very overtly. <laughs> overtly inviting you to get frustrated. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you can say, oh, I can see that coming. <laughs> That's a pothole. Let's not step in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a pothole sign this time. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, there's many different ways that you can handle that. One of the ways that you can handle that is by giving him gratitude for caring. Wow, you're frustrated. Thank you. Let's see if we can get that thing straightened out so that you don't feel frustrated. Or you can ask him questions about, well, what what do you mean frustrated? How do you feel? Maybe you can start where it sounds like that you're disappointed that you were expecting something and you didn't get it. And so going in the in the way of questioning and get him to turn it back around, because right now he's inviting you into a pity party. He's focused on you. If you can ask him questions, that'll turn the focus back around on him and he's got to think and reflect upon himself. What do you mean frustrated? Mm -hmm. And not only that, but that that shows him that you're actually listening to him and you're paying attention to him. Because this is really all about how he's feeling, not about what you've done. Most of the people will say, well, what can I do to improve it so that you're not frustrated, Mr. Boss? And that may not be the right way to to handle it. A much better way of handling it may be to address his feelings directly. So what do you say, what what is the the outcome sort of of him describing what he really feels how do you then uh you know so you're disappointed oh so that you said so let's straighten it out so that you're not disappointed anymore is that yeah okay so when he says how he feels then you can say i understand that i can appreciate how you feel so now you've changed it around that it was top dog he was top dog and you were bottom dog and he's doing this 
And the first thing that you do is you ask them questions, which put things a little bit more easy. And then when you're saying, when he tells you how he's feel, then you can nurture him. And you've just taken it from you're being the victim and he's uh, uh, the conqueror. And you've just switched that around. In that moment, in that psychological moment, you can make that switch right then and there. Mm-hmm. So that instead of him coming in and punishing you because you're the bad child and he's the angry parent, you can turn that around to he's actually the upset child and here you are the nurturing parent. But this what takes it, some mindfulness, this takes some skill, this takes some uh, wisdom right there at that point of contact when he comes in. Right. What if they are uh yeah what if, what if they don't verbally aren't verbally saying um that they're upset what if it's just they're uh delivering whatever it is in an upset way or you know kind of like talking at you but without you know that particular thing and so is it just more it's the same thing as just like ask question Exactly. You can ask him again. You you sound upset. How are you feeling? Get him back focused on himself. Okay. And if he says, you're darn right, I'm angry. You screwed up and I'm really pissed off about it. Yeah. Then you can say, yeah, I've seen you pissed off before. How does it feel? You keep asking him questions about his feelings. Which is exactly what psychologists do. I mean, that's the whole training in being a psychologist. You keep asking that same question over and over again. In many different tiny little ways, you make it nuanced. But the basic question is, look at how you're feeling. And you can agree with him like, yeah, I felt that way before. Sure, I've been frustrated. But the, but the whole point is, is for you to make connection with him, not solve his problem. So, but you don't, so, you, you know, let's say you do make that connection and you say like, okay, yeah, I'm, I've had that. You asked him about his feelings. He's frustrated. You've been frustrated too before. Um, So that's you're saying that that's nurturing, like to to say that you've been there before, kind of empathize with him mm-hmm. in that way, and yeah. then um, and then. But what are you doing after that? Like, are you going back to the task at hand, or are you just going down that path, or what? Well, that would be part of it. You would want for him to feel good about this conversation, so there is no possible way that you would want to say, "I'm not going to do that task the way you want it done." That's not the way that we're going to talk. But we want to be able to get onto his side to to agree with him. And that part of that agreement is, is that, yes, this this task can be done over again. But the problem is not the job. The problem is not the task. The problem is he's frustrated. 
And so that's your job. Your job is not to get the job done so that he's not frustrated. Your job is to work directly with the frustration. Yeah, but I'm, what I'm getting at here is that I feel like if I were to say that to him, let's say we do get to a place where I ask a question and um, empathize a bit with him, you know, what? I'm not sure that that is getting the job done. I probably would need, I don't know, like, I don't know how to move that forward to where he's now a happy-go-lucky guy. <laughs> Don't expect him to be a happy-go-lucky guy, but do expect to make a good connection with him to let him know that you're on his side, that how he feels is important to you, even though it's really not. <laughs> but in a way, it really is, because if he's completely, totally frustrated with you, he's going to try to make as many potholes in your life as you can miss. But if he's really, really friendly with you, then the two of you can be together filling in the potholes. This is something that's quite amazing, that's hard for most people to understand, that getting the job done is not why, why you were hired. Getting along and being a team player, that's the job. No big organization can operate with the star of the show. Elon Musk knows this, by the way. That's why he is so desperate to get the very best engineers he can find to come work for him, because he doesn't want to be the star of the show. But in fact, uh, it's an old adage that if you have an indispensable employee, that this whole organization is designed or uh, um, seems to be operating around the skills of one person. Any really good, high quality manager will fire that guy. Why? Because one guy is doing the work of everybody, which means nobody else is doing their job. One guy's doing it. He's indispensable. We can't get along without him. That you can. And if you can't, then why don't you just fire all of the other people and just let him be the company? Nobody's going to say, oh, I won't, I'll let that happen. No. But this is the whole quality of an indispensable employee. You don't want to be indispensable. You want to be part of the team. That your job, in fact, is to get yourself into a really good, happy state and then to share that with the other people on the team. That getting the job done is secondary. That doesn't mean that it's non-existent, but very, very few people get fired for being incompetent. And most likely people are going to get fired by not getting along. That's the number one reason why people get fired is because the people don't want to be around them, not is because they're not doing their job. That in fact, in almost all organizations, even down to the point of, let us say, a platoon or one um, group manager that has seven, eight or nine employees, if one of them is a complete dunce, a complete idiot and cannot do the job, 
but he is gregarious and happy-go-lucky and everything like that, he'll more than likely keep his job. Even though he's a complete fool and doesn't do his work at all, he won't get fired. And you can see this all over the place. How many companies have many employees that are completely incompetent? But they go along to get along and everything is okay. Very rarely does people get fired for incompetence. Almost always they get fired for being an asshole. <laughs> and so your job is not in danger from you not doing the job. Your job is in danger because you're not paying attention to the bosses. So, so if the bosses that, like uh, you a lot, if they really, really like you a lot, the likelihood of them firing you is zero. So anytime that the boss is expressing uh, like anger and those kind of feelings uh, like verbally, it's probably best to just address it. Address his feelings. Okay. And pay attention to him. Let him know because you can see it, that you're really paying attention. That, in fact, he called you into his office because he caught you not paying attention to him. But so, he blew that from not paying attention to him into you hate your job, and that wasn't the case at all. He made that giant leap. What a leap that is. <laughs> so... Uh, I mean, I think I still, I'm still not 100% clear. Maybe you could just say it one more time, but um, like after you connect with them, like on the emotional level, like you are on the same, you like you both have, you know, talked about that. What What is kind of the next step after that? Well, one of the things that you can do is you can change the topic. You can get him completely diverted into something that he likes. You can start talking about childhood memories. You can start talking about cartoons. You can start talking about, don't talk about politics, <laughs> but, but cartoon characters. You can talk about psychology. You can talk about uh, work relationships in the office. Or you can actually talk about the work itself. But the but that's uh, let us say eventually what you would talk about that that you can actually divert him first you talk about the feelings and get him into that and then you can change the subject to something that's completely unrelated and go off on that topic for a little while and then circle back around to the job possibly only as the goodbye kiss in in the sense of and by the way, I'll fix that email for you. And that can be the end of the conversation right there. It's just that that closing line of what the boss actually was talking about. Yes. While you spend 10 minutes, five of them talking about his feelings, five minutes talking about uh, something completely irrelevant, followed by the goodbye kiss of give him what he wants. or agreeing with him that you were frustrating to him and that your endeavor to be joyful and 
non-frustrating. So that would be the one, two, three punch. One is to direct, to redirect it, to change the relationship from you being the bottom dog and him being the top dog and change that relationship. Get him focused on himself rather than focused on you. Get him focused on his own feelings. Okay. Then you can use something that he says as a segue off into the wild blue yonder. Like he says, you, you're frustrating me just like that woman in that green dress. Okay, so now we've got several things. We've got woman, we have dress, we have green. Any one of those three can be a segue off into, oh, that reminds me. I was really frustrated with her too. Okay, so, and then now we change the direction. Now we're talking about this other lady. And how we can both work together to be non-frustrated by her. <laughs> okay, so that's one of the ways to do it, is to get to have a little diversion. Okay, okay, and then okay. the last thing I want to talk about, kind of here, to make sure we cover all the bases, I guess, because we've covered the sort of at the desk, head down, and then also talking to the boss. Or any, and even when the boss approaches, but um, what I have been doing, like before I, before I went on the trip, and and sort of after here, maybe even less, so I'm not sure. But just taking um, ten minutes at a time, I'll like go. Well, I should go outside now. Um, there's like a park, right? There's like a, a park for the building, so I can just go like there and and uh, in seclusion for like ten minutes and close my eyes and do Anapanasati. And I don't know, lately it's been feeling like, um, you know, uh, kind of more of the same about how I was describing, you know, maybe I'll have like a, a little string of wholesome thought and then I'll get a string of unwholesome thought. And then, I don't know, it just seems like more, I'm seeing more unwholesome thoughts, I guess. Um, yes, that's right. That's something that intermediate students have to put up with, if it were, is, is that as we begin, begin to get skillful in sati and in investigation, we begin to see dukkha, dukkha everywhere. Every thought is dukkha. Every action is dukkha. That's the way that it begins to feel, because that's becoming... Um, that's the, the budding wisdom. So that we then have to, uh, rather than feeling victimized by all this dukkha, we again stay with congratulations of how good it is that I could see all of those potholes. Mm -hmm. Why do they call this a road? All I see is pothole. I don't see any road here at all. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a good point, because then we can really begin to recognize how many potholes there really are in the mind. That's the wake-up process. But guess what? Every one of these newly found potholes is an opportunity to change the mind. It basically goes like this. We go for, let us say, 
five minutes of unwholesome thoughts, followed by a wake up. Later, we have two minutes of uh, of uh, unwholesome thought, and then we wake up, and then we uh, have another two minutes of wholesome thought, and we wake up. We walk. We woke up twice in that same time. Right. Then later we're getting even better at it, and so we go one one minute of bad feelings, and then we wake up, and then we have one more minute of bad feelings, and we wake up, and then we have another bad feeling minute, and then we wake up, and then we, so now we've woken up five times, and we've seen dukkha five times to where the in the beginning we only saw it once. Now we're seeing it five times, which is the improvement: seeing it one time, one dukkha, or seeing five dukkhas. Five. Yeah, right. Except that the mind works the other way. Oh, poor me, five times already. <laughs> yeah, when I started, I only saw a little bit of dukkha here and there, and now I'm seeing it all over the place. Well, that's because we're paying attention. <laughs> Which means now you have five times an option to come out of it. So basically, if you have one minute of um, uh, bad feelings followed, followed by a wake up that has 10 or 15 or 20 seconds of wake up, that the next time when we go back to sleep, we're only asleep maybe 50 seconds and then we wake up again. And now we can stay awake for 20 seconds and then we go back to sleep. And then now we're only going to be awake for uh, asleep for 40 seconds when we wake up. So waking up often and staying alert for longer periods of time means that there's a whole lot less dukkha actually happening, but the awareness of the dukkha is sky high. Dukkha, 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 everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Daddy was talking about that at one time. I remember that he just could not see anything but dukkha. And I said, yes, Danny, that's exactly where we're going to go with this. <laughs> because every one of those potholes can be avoided when you see them. So congratulate yourself for seeing that dukkha, recognizing it. Over and over and over again, you're going to get very skillful at seeing dukkha. Be congratulatory for yourself rather than giving you more dukkha for all the dukkha you see. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me of something right before I called you. Um, I had the thought like, because uh, I remember hearing something like the Buddha said, like, you know, see the feeling in the feeling, see the thought in the thought. And then I thought, see the like the seeing and the seeing, because the seeing wasn't the problem. The seeing was actually just the seeing. Yes. The and wake up, the actually the, looking at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the seeing is actually to be celebrated um, when you see it. That's exactly right. That's a celebration to see that pothole just in time to move out of its way. And now that it, part of the road was not bumpy. If we could do that time after time, then that means that this this pothole filled road is actually not monthly. Because I can see those potholes one at a time as they occur. One by one as they occur. We see it, we step aside. Is the, the is the what is the pothole exactly here? Because um, I could think about the pothole as like, OK, I see the boss incoming. 
or even I hear the notification for the email, but I haven't read the email yet, haven't had the conversation with the boss yet. Clearly, that's a pothole approaching. But if we're talking about a thought, the thought is already here. And if it's an unwholesome one, aren't we already hitting the pothole? Ah, the, but the email that you saw when you read the title of it or saw who it was from, and you mentioned that it was a pothole, it still is not the email that's the pothole. It's the thought that it's a pothole. When you see the email before you open it, you've already determined that it's a pothole. See that thought. That's the pothole is the thought that this email is going to cause trouble. That you've already caused the trouble by just seeing the email. You haven't even read it yet and it's already Duca. <laughs> okay. So, but is the pothole already like Duca or are we supposed to think about it as like Duca is coming? Well, either way, that's the right approach. I think that you're making a distinction without a difference. But one of the, the, the di distinctions is, is that we see that the environment, the email, the boss, the office, etc., is the dukkha. Where in fact, no, always it's in one's own mind. Yeah. So, okay, wait, what I was kind of saying was, like, okay, if I, if I, my phone rings here, Sometimes I don't even know if it's an email or a text message, but let's say I know it's an email. Uh -huh. But that email could be from, uh, you know, it, it could be from Twitter mm -hmm. or whatever. Or, I mean, it, it could be from uh, Walgreens or CVS, mm -hmm. something that I really don't care about. <laughs> or it could be an email from the boss, and I don't know yet. But I, because I heard that I know I'm going to look at it, it, it's a good time to take a deep breath, you know, prepare yourself to swerve the pothole sort of in that way is, is, is what I was getting Which, at. Yes, exactly. So, all right. Versus, thing, but also, but once I do, I guess the other one is like, once I do have it in front of me, I guess. So, so while I'm reading it, if it is from the boss, while I'm reading it, I'm just, I'm just keeping the feelings, keep or keeping the thoughts wholesome while I read it. And just, you know, seeing the seeing, seeing, reading the reading and the reading and not, uh, right. you know. Here's something that you can do in that regard. If you can remember to have the wholesome thought, the wholesome thought that could be used would be, hmm, I wonder what the boss is going to reveal about himself in this email. That's a really good way of looking at an email, rather than what is the boss going to say about me? Because that's selfishness right there. But rather, what is the boss going to reveal? As I'm opening this email, the thought is, what is the boss going to reveal about himself? You see what, what a lion's position that is? You see the winner's attitude in that? Okay, yeah. so that's the kind that would be a very wholesome thought to have as you're opening boss's emails. Because I wonder what the boss is going to reveal about himself in this email. Hmm, let's take a look. 
because in fact that email that you sent me through Skype, that guy was revealing a whole lot about his feelings in there. Enough to, I mean, there was 20 or 30 questions worth of, uh, of time that you could have spent just talking to him, chatting about that email that he sent. Mm. Always back to that position of the lion's attitude. You're the winner here. What were some questions that you would say <laughs> to that email? I'm curious. Uh, I'll have to go dig it back up, but I recognize the first line was quite revealing. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go back and, and take a look at that. You said you're overthinking this. Yeah, you you're, you're overthinking this. this. All right. So what he was looking for then was a simple solution. And then in the next statement, he actually presented that easy solution. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that what he was doing? He was thinking... Well, maybe he didn't even mean anything about your overthinking this, that he's just basically introducing his, this is an easy way out here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you can take it from there. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's the easy way out. Yeah, I think that's actually what I said. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's the, yeah, I appreciate that you found an easy way out of this. Let's go do the easy way out. Mm. And so you can congratulate him for finding the easy way out. Yes. But when he wrote it, the way he wrote it, it was like, ah, how dare he say that to me? Me overthinking? I don't ever overthink. You hear what the, you can see that pothole right there when you yeah. read that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So that one liner, and that's a pothole right there. And so we can, and, and, and many times you, it's hard to even get to the real sentence, where in fact, in some ways, you can see that that first line that's so irritating was actually a throwaway line. It was just a throwaway line is one of the ways of doing it, because I don't think that he's actually accusing you. In fact, uh, uh, overthinking uh, sounds like an attribute. As opposed to a put down. Yeah, so that's the way that I would analyze that. Now that I'm looking at it, I would say, yeah, that he's actually that's just a throwaway line because he's actually looking for a very easy solution. So congratulate him for coming up with such an easy peasy solution. That's so what is going idea. on in the mind in that moment when we read that first sentence? What should be what what is the um the noble uh solution that we we put eyes onto the screen now? What are we holding in sati here? What are we holding mindful? about well number one is that he's telling you more about himself than he's telling you about you this is not about right. you this is about him right that's before, the first we, before thing. we even read it we can we can start to get that dialogue going right we can get that dialogue going what is he going to reveal about himself right 
This is not about me. It's about him. Yes. And so we don't have to take it selfishly. And he may have not even meant that he wanted you to take it selfishly, but the line like you're overthinking this is inviting someone who hears that to become extremely selfish right then. Who, me? I'm not overthinking anything. How dare you say that? Yeah. What kind of turd of a boss are you to go around saying things like that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of recognizing, oh, that was probably just a throwaway line. An introduction to the fact that he's got a really easy solution. But when he wrote it, he was not also thinking about how can we get this done so that we're both a winner? He wasn't thinking about it that way. He was thinking about my what a good boy am I because I'm not overthinking this. I've got a really easy solution. So we can see his selfishness built right in there. <laughs> I see that deep breath. That's great. I got it. <laughs> oh, yes. Now we see. You see, that's that's the power of that deep breath. I mean, it comes with that wake up. Congratulations. I just saw that. Keyshawn, I saw that deep breath. <sighs> He's talking about himself. He's not talking about me. <laughs> yeah. So when we, but we do that automatically. We just assume that we've got to protect ourselves because he's on the attack. And he's not necessarily on the attack at all. He's just telling my what a good boy I am because I thought of an easy solution and you're overthinking it. But if you stand out of your own way, then you can just see that that's what's going on and you can come back with, you're right, that's a, you're absolutely right. That's a very easy solution. Good idea. Congratulations. You're a smart boss. I enjoy working for you. You can really butter him up if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um... I guess maybe one last thing, and finally, actually, is I got to go to bed, but um, the boss there that we talked, he, 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 he put it on the table. He said, you could ignore everything I said today, um, or you could come back to me in a week and, you know, we could start to... You put. can ignore everything I've said today. Is that something he's actually told you? Do you know what that sounds like? It sounds like he's remorseful. That he didn't handle it with you very well. And so he wants you to forget about it because he can't. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he, he, so I, the answer to that was you did fine. I really understood what you had to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe I could shoot him an email and, and say, you know, but I, I don't know. I He said that you can ignore what I said or you can come back to me. I, I'll be back in town next week and, you know, we could discuss if you are interested in, you know, you know, making making a, a change here, that kind of thing. He said 
um, you know, he kind of put it to be that way. And, and yeah, I mean, maybe that's he's saying that because he doesn't feel sure about it. But he yeah. might have felt like that he overstepped his boundary. Yeah. And, and so um, it's, there's several approaches that you can have with this all have the right attitude built into it. Like uh, something like, oh, never mind, everything's good. Or, yeah, I understood what you had to say, and that was a good point, but everything's all right right now. If you're going to take the position that you're not going to, uh, how to say it, that you're not going to wear that shoe print on your butt. Have him tried to kick you out of the place? Because I don't think that that was his intention anyway. Yeah. And so you could just say, well, yeah, that I, I'll, I've thought about it, but everything is okay right now. Everything is fine. No worries, no problems. Yeah, so give him some Dhamma like that. It's hard for us to recognize that when we've got bosses to deal with, that the boss is the job, not the not the task. Bosses really, really like being well treated. And so that's your job. Go treat those bosses really well. When they're talking to you, listen to them. Ask them a lot of questions. Make it, put it back that it's about them, not about you. Yeah. I think that you allows earlier. you to come out of that allows you to come out of that position of being one down. So you still from time to time put yourself in a one down position with these bosses. Because that's the way that you're supposed to see it. Boss on top, employee on the bottom. But you're noble. You belong up here. So you can manipulate the situation so that you can come right up. If you've got sati, if you've got the right attitude, if you've got the skills. And the way that you do that is with the secretive method. You turn things around by asking him questions about the way that he feels. Become his psychologist. Don't tell him that you're his psychologist. Just, you know, let him kind of feel like he's nurtured. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we'll see how that goes, because I, I can see myself asking that question uh, and then like. You know, if he if he does tell me that he's a, yeah, I guess I guess yeah, you said like empathize with them. Does that help you think like actually just saying like, yeah, I I get that way too sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. exactly commiserate with him a bit. Don't join his pity party, but recognize his feelings. That's why, and the best way to do it is by questioning him. Because if you're questioning him about his feelings, that's making that contact. 
You don't have to go join him in his pity party, but you could question him about his pity party. So when he says something like, wouldn't you be really frustrated if you had to put up with you? Which is basically what he was putting, what he was saying. And so you can start asking him questions. Well, um, what do you mean by frustration? How do you feel? And you can take it from there. But the important thing is, is that uh, the situation that you and I are discussing has to be with kind of an overall way of looking at it. But in the detail, you can be aware to listen to what he's saying because that will be the usefulness for the segues that you'll have as you go through the conversation. In other words, you're asking me in advance, how should the conversation go? The answer is, let him be the guide for that. And that wherever he takes this particular moment, you're there for it. And you can find new ways, so you keep thinking about asking him questions, asking him questions. And eventually, within a very short period of time, let us say within a minute, you'll find some way of changing the topic altogether into something that he really wants to talk about. Let us say that his son is going on kayaking and he's thinking about that. Okay, so you can start changing the subject to something that he wants to talk about. And then after a short time, you can then circle back around to tell him that, yeah, we're going to make sure that that job is done so that you're not frustrated. And then bango, you've got that connection with him. You know, I I find myself thinking about this, too, which is that, like, I was really listening to what you were saying. And then I think that I maybe woke up and recognized, wait a minute, I haven't taken a deep breath in uh, in, a, in a minute here or something like that. But that's probably an unwholesome thought, right? Well, but. I can have this one. Instead of thinking, I haven't done it yet, you can say, I'm doing it now. Okay. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No need for remorse. Let's take this present moment rather than commiserating over the last one. Yeah, maybe that's a good response to the, well, I don't know. It depends, I guess. <laughs> Say that to the boss, but yeah. <laughs> thanks for the reminder or something like that, but yeah. Yeah, thanks for the reminder. Okay. All right. So the whole as as we finish off there, let's put this down into just a few words about how that you can handle it. Being here now, listening to what the boss has to say, and most importantly, then make sure that you're asking questions that put the focus back onto him. That's the first thing to do is to ask questions to get him focused back onto him, not onto you. Then get him into a pleasant state with something completely different. Change the topic. 
You can talk about anything that he might like. You can talk about donuts. I don't care what it is, so long as there's a reason to talk about donuts. Like maybe there's a box of donuts on the uh, on the table or anything that can be a clue. Or you can listen to what he has to say for your clues to find a segue to get him off the topic. So that in this conversation, it's a neutral ground so that the two of you can really enjoy talking about donuts or his son kayaking or whatever. And after you make that connection with him, now you can circle back around and talk about the job. But the important thing is that connection that you want to make with him in that moment. Some people do this just automatically. It's something that they pick up as a kid and it just works for them. And the rest of us are just frustrated because we don't know how to deal with people. Why is it funny that I was having that exact thought as you said that? <laughs> I was literally thinking that because I was thinking about uh, my friend who does that, like one of my coworkers, um, and I, I just noticed that he's always like very uh, interested in in what like they have to say like when we're on a call or something like that. Yeah. Make sure that the bosses, when when you leave the bosses, they come away with the, the idea that, wow, Keyshawn is really interested in me. Yeah. And all we're doing is our duty to the Dhamma, paying attention to what's happening in the moment. Instead of dealing with fear of, oh, what might happen? Oh, he's frustrated with me. Oh, I better go do this, that, and the other thing so that he's not frustrated. But here now you're dealing directly with the frustration. Yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> okay. Excellent, excellent. This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoy these kind of conversations because it puts Dhamma and psychology together. Makes a nice sandwich. Yes. Okay. Kishan, we'll see you later. All right. Talk to you later. I'll uh, let you know how it goes. <laughs> yes, I want to hear the story. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for going into 